Any Chiefs fans in the house? Oh, come on. Any Chiefs fans in the house? I don't know, but uh, I want you all to imagine this morning that you're Andy Reid, and you have two options as a coach. The first option as a coach is to really sell the goal. And what is the goal? To win the what? Win the Super Bowl. And so in the locker room, you have the goal. You got it spelled out clearly. The goal is to win the Super Bowl. And every time you're talking, you're saying, come on, team. Come on, Patrick. Come on, let's go. Let's win the Super Bowl. And every time you're with your team, you are trying to encourage them, inspire them, get them motivated. That's one option. The second option is to focus in on the system. The system is the players, it is the coaches, it is the practices, it is the game plan, it is the discipline, it is the teamwork. Where would you go? As a coach, I hope you don't say the first option because it has been proven that just focusing on the goal does not help you get the goal. You need to focus in on the process, the system, who's around you, the practices, your habits, your routines, your disciplines, your accountability. And today and for the next few weeks, we want to focus in on the systems in our lives so that we can win the Super Bowl, so to speak, as a church and as Christ followers. You know, when I moved to, to Missouri, I really didn't know what to expect. And especially one area that I found very interesting was driving in Missouri. Now, I've lived in a lot of places. I lived in Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is a fairly large place. And I would say the traffic isn't too bad. It's just, sometimes you got bumper-to-bumper traffic. But then I've lived in Dallas. Anybody driven in Dallas? can be pretty chaotic. And then I was in San Diego and L.A. And again, the traffic can be overwhelming. And then I said to myself, okay, I'm moving to Missouri now. Everything's going to get very nice when it comes to driving. But there's two areas. If I have two pet peeves about living here as it relates to driving, the first is the four-way stop. Especially this four-way stop. I think it's this direction right up here. And um, it seems like nobody knows when to go. And it's really frustrating, especially when you have somebody who thinks they're being nice and it's their turn to go. Because then you're like, do I really go or are they going to hit me? And so you can't figure it out. The other thing that I really hate is merging. Now, I live for a while, like I said, in Dallas and in San Diego, you need to learn how to merge. And if you don't merge, guess what? Kaboom, and you are in trouble. I haven't figured out for the life of me how merging works in Missouri. I, it seems like there should be some common courtesy that if you're in one lane where people are merging, and if there's somebody not in the next lane, guess what? You're kind and you move over so they can get on. And then if you are merging, there is a thing called the gas pedal. It works better when you're merging than the brakes. Because when you break and then you don't know what to do and you're being hesitant, guess what? It just causes too much chaos and confusion. When it comes to life, when you come to the intersection, I believe all of us want to know when we need to go. 
when it comes to merging into life and the circumstances and maybe the chaos and the traffic in our lives, we need to know how to merge on. And we as fellow drivers, we need to help others merge on so that everything will be smooth. Today, we're going to start this series, Now What? Or What's Next? As we all face this question in our lives, what's next? And it can be something good, and it can be something troubling. We always are asking the question, what's next? You have a baby, you ask the question, what's next? You get married, you ask the question, what's next? You, you, you um, retire, you're asking the question, what's next? You go through a crisis. Maybe you find yourself in the hospital, you ask, what's next? You, you lose a loved one, you ask yourself the question, what's next? Whenever... Life happens, whether it's good or bad, you're constantly asking the question, what is next? And today we're going to start with the simple premise. We can either face what is next with God or without God. We can face it with hope or without hope. We can face it without Joy, or we can face it with joy. We can face it with direction and understanding and clarity, or we can face it without direction and clarity. And I can go on and on on all the ways we take that next step. But the one I want us to know specifically today is how we can make that next step, and we can choose to do it not just with God, but specifically with God's word, with God's voice speaking to us so we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the steps that we are taking, the decisions that we are choosing to make, the lifestyle and the behaviors of our life are in accordance with the voice of God. And so this morning, I'm not really going to give you a message. I want to even classify this as sermon. This is going to be advice, and I'm going to talk to you from my own life, and I'm going to talk to you from the perspective of how you can make sure that you're in the Word of God, and that you're reading the Word of God, and more importantly, that you are listening to God's voice, because that is the practice and the system that needs to be in your life, so you can clearly say, this is what's next. This is what God is saying to me. This is the direction that God wants me to go. What I want to do is I want to just start with my own life. My life, uh, not just as a pastor, but my life as a Christ follower, a fellow Christian just like you, trying to constantly figure out what's next. And I want to start with a couple of passages in the Old Testament, and then I want to share a couple of new, and then I want to give you the most practical advice on how you can read God's Word for yourself and enjoy it and take pleasure in it, and more importantly, again, hear the voice of God. So if you would, take out your Bible this morning and turn to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. When I first got into ministry, I, I had a practice, and I started speaking at camps when I was really, really young. I mean, like 21, 22 years old, I started speaking, and I was obviously, I was nervous and confused, and I wanted to make sure that I was teaching people the Word of God. 
And so what I did was I had certain passages that I would review every time before I speak, and I would pray through them. And this is the one passage that I would go to. If I didn't have any time, I would just go to this passage. Psalm 19 says this, and I'm going to read in verse 7. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect. God's word is perfect. Notice what it says, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing with the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and the righteous all together. And then now jump down to verse 12. It says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And then David says something here that's pretty powerful. He says this. He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If you ever wonder why I pray that, because that is what needs to happen, not just on Sunday morning, but every day. The words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart, it needs to be pleasing to God. Why? Because he is our rock. He is our source of stability. And if you're not in the word of God every day, guess what? There's no way that you're going to be able to please God. To hear his voice. To feel secure. To feel safe. To feel that God is going with you as you face your next step. Turn over to Psalm 95. Psalm 95. Again, this is a famous passage, and we usually, we, we like the first part of it because it's very worshipful. Oh, sing to the Lord, and we'll make a joyful noise to him. But notice Psalm 95. After it gets through the worship, and then it says something in verse 7. And it's pretty powerful because it challenges us not just to come and to worship and to sing, but to view the whole experience on Sunday morning and in our lives as an experience of coming together to hear the voice of God. Notice what it says in verse 7. It says, today if you hear his voice. That's why we need, when we come in here, we need to put away all distractions and we're going to see in a little bit, I'm going to really strongly suggest that we get in the habit of bringing the Word of God. I know it can be difficult, and I'm going to sound like an old man, get off my lawn, and not just use the phone, but if you can only use the phone, use the phone. You need the Word of God because you've got to feel comfortable with it. But notice what it says. It says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you once did at Meribah. And on the day at Massah, in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to a test and put me to proof, though they had seen my works. Notice, for 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. When we corporately or individually or as a family, if we don't know the word of God, it's going to be hard for us to make the right next steps. That again are going to be pleasing to the Lord. 
Jump over now to the New Testament. Um, there's a lot of passages I'd like to share, but I want to share the first one is in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, and um, Romans, and then you got all of Paul's letters. But then when you hit the T's, they all come together. First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, and Titus. So you go and you find the T's. First Thessalonians was written to the church in Thessalonica, and we got to see this very clearly. Then again, I used to pray through chapter two over and over again, and now it's sort of just become a lifestyle. This is in my heart. Verse four. Chapter 2 says this, it says, just as we've been approved by God, talking about pastors, to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. As we go through this transitional period, the, the key is to find not a man pleaser, but a God pleaser. Someone who wants to clearly communicate the word of God without fear of not pleasing men, because ultimately the goal is to please God. Then notice here, notice verse 11. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you from his own kingdom and glory. Now listen to this. He says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is as work in you as believers. The people accepted the word of God. Now, you need to understand this. They, they were people, they would not have been educated. Only Paul would have been educated. In fact, Paul was probably one of these guys that we would say was, was a really smart dude, but he was really thoroughly educated. He had his doctorate. He had his Ph.D. in philosophy and theology in religion. He understood how life works. These people were what would have been referred to as common people. But guess what? They did not let Paul's knowledge intimidate them because they understood that they were not listening to the knowledge of men they were listening to the words of God. And they accepted it, and that means they received it. Just as last week Bill Anderson says, just don't acknowledge the word of God. Accept it into your life. Receive it. Welcome it. Why is this so important? Turn over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, and if you want to know how I tick and how most pastors should operate and just what it means to be a pastor and to communicate on Sunday morning and the, the energy that goes into it. You know, some people say, well, what does a pastor do all week? Well, a pastor needs to be in the Word of God. It's like me. I, I would ask you, what do you guys do all week? I hope the answer is you're in the Word of God. Because it, the answer is the same for all of us. We need to be in the Word of God. Why do we need to be in the Word of God? Look at 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's breathed out. It's the living breath of God. 
When you open up the word, you're not opening up a textbook. You're opening actually the breath of God that gives us life. And notice what scripture is. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And then I got this verse all highlighted and X'd. Every word is highlighted because 17 is so crucial. So that the man of God or the woman of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. How are you going to do what's next? you got to have the word of God being the voice that leads you. When I went to Dallas Seminary, 2 Timothy 4.2 was there. We're here in the Word of God right now, so. 2 Timothy 4.2 says this. Notice what it says. It says, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Why? Because it's going to get hard. Notice what it says. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming. And I would say, as a pastor, the time is here. People will not endure sound teaching. All you got to do is go to Facebook, Instagram, social media, the news, and you will understand that many Christian leaders, teachers, pastors, worship leaders, they're walking and they're turning their back on God. And there's a variety of reasons, but some of it is they don't have sound teaching, but have itchy ears that will accumulate for themselves teachings to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wandering off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Notice what he's saying to Paul. He's saying you got a calling. And you can go and you can read chapter 3 later, but chapter 3 basically is saying, in the times that is to come, which is now, people are not going to have God in their life. And they're going to try to do life without God. Now, here's the practical side that we want to share this morning. So I want to share another verse with you. It's a powerful verse. You may have read it in a different translation. And sometimes we refer to it, where there is no vision, the people will perish. But notice this. I really love this in Proverbs 29. It's in your program. It says, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. You see, I think that many of us, including myself, sometimes we have taken that verse, where there is no vision, the people will perish. And we will say, we as a church, we need to have a vision statement. You and your life, you need to have a vision statement. You have to have a plan, a strategy, a purpose on how you're going to live your life. That is not what the scripture is talking about here. And please forgive me if I've ever led you astray in that direction. What it is talking about is direct communication from the word of God. 
a prophet's voice, a pastor's voice, a teacher's voice, the word of God in your life, if it's not there, guess what? You run wild. And what we see happening today in our homes and in our schools and in our country is people are running wild. And the reason they're running wild is because they do not have the word of God. So this morning, again, the question that I just want to ask us all, how do you want to live your life? What does the next step going to look like with God, with God's voice, or without God and without God's voice? With his direction or without his direction? With his plan and purpose for your life or without his plan and purpose for your life? So you may say, Mark, I'm getting scared. Because when I think of the word of God, it overwhelms me. It's intimidating. I haven't been to seminary like you. I I haven't been educated like you. I don't know what to do. I don't want us to be there. We, none of us should be overwhelmed. We just, we've been singing about, we've been set free. One of the freedoms is we're free to read the word of God and to hear God's voice. We, we, we sing about being God's child and him accepting us. What dad does not want to talk to their child and have a relationship with the child? Here's a practical advice. Here's the first thing. Where do you start? For some reason, all of us think we start in Genesis. And I was sharing with the, the older kids at our Christian school that we don't need to look at the Bible and God's word as sort of like a textbook. And we need to understand that the Old Testament was written to who? It was written to the Jewish nation. The New Testament was written to the church. It was written to Christians. It was written to Christ followers. Now, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean, I just read, all Scripture is profitable and all Scripture is God-breathed. But if we want to get into this, whether we're a new believer or someone that's been a believer for a long time and we've still never read the Bible, here's what I would suggest. Start in the Gospel of John. And like I've said over and over again, I'd start in the Gospel of John, I'd underline the word believe and see if you can find the hundred times the word believe is mentioned in the Gospel of John. And then I would encourage you to underline life or eternal life. The reason I say Mark is Mark is the simplest, quickest, clearest explanation of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and to follow Jesus Christ. Why do I put the Psalms or the Proverbs? Because I believe those are the most practical ways to get into the Word of God. The Psalms literally are not songs, they're prayers. It's how we talk to God when we're struggling, when we're hurting, when we're experiencing the highest of highs. Proverbs are general principles that give us wisdom and insight for where we need to live. I've seen Christian after Christian start in Genesis and they quit. The flood is just an interesting story, but then they're like, eh, it's sort of weird thinking about God destroying all the people through a flood. And people quit. Or people get to Genesis and then they're like, Exodus? Oh, okay, it's starting to get a little creepy. And God really killed 
babies and there's babies being killed and what is going on here and the people are delivered and then if you're lucky you get to Leviticus and you're like whoo but I can tell you real easily though those books even though I don't say start there they tell you how to live your life Genesis is about how to experience God's blessing if you obey him you'll be blessed if you disobey him you'll be cursed that's Genesis Exodus is how do you get saved? You do not get saved on your own. You rely on God and his provision, the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how you get saved. Leviticus is a very easy book when you understand God wants us to be holy and he has certain standards and rules he wants us to live by. Numbers is basically if you don't want to obey God, you're going to wander around in a wilderness for 40 years. And Deuteronomy is the second act it literally means second law it's saying once you get tired of wandering in the wilderness come back to me and i will teach you but we get lost in the weeds that's why i say start in john start in mark start in the psalms start in proverbs here's a second read slowly the scripture talks in many places that we should not enter into the house of god in a casual way. I know we're, we're living in a different world, but again, it, it's going to sound like the old man, get off my lawn, but uh, when I was younger, you knew you were stepping into God's holy of holies almost. You were stepping into a situation. Too many of us, we read the word of God in a casual way. And we're in a hurry and we're busy and we, we got an agenda. Slow down. You need to read God's word slowly. This was, you know, we used to call it the Holy Scripture or the Holy Bible. That means it is precious. It is God's word. And it's God's voice speaking to us. If I told you at 2 o'clock today, God was going to speak to you. I haven't even checked. Chief's playing right then at that time, I take it, from the announcement. But if I told you at 2 o'clock God is going to speak to you, would you stop and would you be ready at 1.55 to hear what God had to say to you? We need to understand this is the way God speaks to us. And when we go to the Word of God, we need to read slowly and ask that God will speak to us. Here's the second truth. We need to read less. Again, dependent upon your level of knowledge of the Bible and your maturity with the Bible, I would encourage you, just start with 10 verses. Just start with a paragraph. Just start with a sentence. Just start with a verse. We're going to talk about this. In order for it to be a habit, you need to start somewhere. I know somebody that wanted to try to exercise and he wanted to get in the habit that he would go and he would be working out. And so he knew that he wasn't ready to exercise, but he got in his car every day and went over to like the community center. And then he would drive back. He wouldn't get out, he wouldn't work out, he wouldn't do anything, but he'd drive over there. Why? Because he wanted to get in the habit of going to working out. Eventually he got in there and then he started slowly. We need to get into the word of God and not... Not put on these rules and these burdens and say, oh, i got to read 
Genesis 1, I got to read Psalm 1, I got to read Mark 1, and oh, I got to know what Revelation says, so I got to read Revelation 1 and get overwhelmed. Less is more. Why is less more? Because then you can read prayerfully. We need to read Scripture and we need to pray Scripture. You see, God is speaking to us and God doesn't just want to speak to us and us not to respond back to him. So when you're reading slowly and you're you're reading less, it makes it easier for you to pray Scripture. Let's just take Proverbs 29 again. How would you do that? You would say, God, give me your vision. God, speak to me. God, give me your revelation. God, I'm going to open up your word today. Speak to me. Why? Because I don't want to run wild. I don't want to perish. I don't want to be lost. I don't want to be confused. God, help me today. You're responding and you're playing back and forth with God and his voice. Read thoughtfully. Here's the other suggestion I would make. I would say get rid of all your study Bibles. Don't rely upon, some people are going to probably shoot me, don't rely upon the daily breads and the devotionals and all of those things. You say, why? Because you're not just listening then to God's voice. You're listening to someone else's voice who then, they listen to the voice of God. I want to encourage you to listen to the voice of God yourself. Yes, you can do devotionals, but start with listening to the Word of God and think thoughtfully. Is there a promise to claim? Is there a, there, is there a command to obey? Is there a way that my life would be better if I started following this? Think thoughtfully. I just want to give you a picture. I sent this out to, to my family the other day, um, probably a week ago. And again, this is coming out of my Bible, and this is my, I told him, this was my prayer for him that day and every day. It comes from Colossians 1, and I I just, you notice I got like five different things that we need to be praying for, but I went through that, and I told my kids, I'm praying that they would be filled with knowledge of his will, that they would have all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that they would be pleasing to him, and that they would be bearing fruit in every good work. We need to be in the Word, and we need to think about it. So how can this become a habit? I'll tell you just one other quick little story, and uh, then I'll show you some keys to making it a habit. And we'll actually be using this um, throughout this series a little bit, but there was a study done. There was 250 people that wanted to exercise. And so they had trouble being disciplined to exercise. And so they did a study, and they had three groups. Group one, they were told that when you go to exercise, I want you to journal your exercise and keep track of all the exercise that you're doing. Group two, they said, we want you to keep track, just like group one, but we're going to give you extra material to tell you why it is important to exercise. And the benefits of exercise and how it will help you to be healthy and sharp and not feel tired and feel really well. And then the third group, they said, 
We want you to have, to record your exercise. We want you to read the material, but we want you to lay out a plan and a strategy for how you are going to go about exercising. You know how the percentage has turned out? Both group one and two, they both, only 30% of people exercise. If you want to guess what it was over here that created a plan, it was over 90% of the people exercise. And so what I want to share with you is, as we conclude this here, I want to share just a way that this can be a habit for you. You're going to need a plan. Here's the first step. Have a trigger. What is a trigger? A trigger is, let's just say you come home every day and um, you sit down on your couch and you're ready to watch TV. Put the word of God there. It's a trigger. It's a reminder. Maybe put your remote right on there that you will be reminded, I need to read the word of God. Have it on your bed. Have it on your pillow. Have it under your pillow. Have it on your bathroom sink. Have it somewhere where you will say, this is where I can find God's word. This is one of the reasons, and I encourage people to put version on their Bible or a Bible app on their Bible. But if you're like me, that becomes one of multiple apps on my phone. You need to have a trigger in your life that will say, I need to be reading the word of God. But it's not just to have a trigger and you got to make it really obvious so that you will want to read the Word of God. And maybe it's not the Word of God. Maybe you just have on your, if you want to use your phone, have an alarm that goes off that reminds you not to check in for your flight, but to check in on the Word of God. you got to have a trigger. Here's the second thing. You need to have a hunger. You need to make it attractive. Man, when, when the... When I get craving and I, I, I get hungry for Mexican food, there, there's no stopping me. And what ends up happening, I say, I want to go to a Mexican joint, though, that is attractive, where I enjoy the chips, I enjoy the salsa, I enjoy the queso, I enjoy the fajitas, I enjoy the atmosphere. I enjoy it so much that I want to go back. The quickest way for me to not like Mexican food anymore is to move to Missouri. No, I'm just kidding. No, the quickest way is to go to a restaurant that doesn't have really authentic Mexican food. Likewise, you need to make this attractive. Buy a Bible that you can understand. Buy a Bible that makes sense. Buy a Bible you can read. Buy a Bible that is fun and attractive and go to a place. You see, I can't do much reading in my bed. What happens when I'm reading in bed? I fall asleep and start snoring and getting everybody in my house all upset, okay? You've got to find an attractive place where you can sit down and read. And you know, this is why I figured this out. You know, even in my office, you would think in a pastor's office you could be able to study the Word of God. A lot of times I need to leave. My attractive place actually is going to a McAllister's Deli or going to a Chick-fil-A or going somewhere, putting on my headphones, opening up the Word of God and studying it. It's attractive for me. Three, response. 
Make it easy so that you can do it. So once you have the hunger and you got the trigger, then now you got to make it easy. That's why I say start in John or Mark or Psalms or Proverbs. Start slowly. you got to have a plan that makes it easy for you to read the Scripture. And last but not least, reward. Make it enjoyable. See the benefits of reading Scripture. I love to know Scripture. Why? Because it helps me when I'm, I'm stuck and I'm confused, but it also helps me to help others who are stuck and confused. It, it's not a textbook and it's not an instruction manual. It's a love letter. That God is speaking to me. And I find that very rewarding that God still wants to speak to me. And he wants to teach me. But it finds, I find it very rewarding that God wants to speak to you and he wants you to hear his voice. And that's rewarding. And it's rewarding when you say, wow, Pastor Mark, thanks for sharing that. That, that really meant something to me or that encouraged me. This has got to be a habit. Why? Because we can't go without God. And we can't go without hearing his voice.